I live by those words and don't dream it, be it. Ah, oh, Rocky Horror, my favorite too. We both <laughs> bite our nails. Oh, Ooh. So cute. <laughs> hey, everybody. Hello. Happy Pride. I just, just squirted all over myself. Happy Pride. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like Pride. Yeah, find my friend oh oh i, I found, found my, my friend, friend. <laughs> yes so since a lot of us aren't going to be out there partying for pride like our normal years sit back and drink with us as we do a very great movie do you want to tell everybody what movie we picked this week? uh everybody we're doing party monster yes. the classic yes, party kid club kid party scene lots of drugs lots of sex lots of money no none of these kids have any money well some money i think they do I mean, to be able to live that life in New York, you're going to have to have some, uh, something. Well, technically, I guess the, the technical term were called backers. And most of the time, they were the, just the parents. Just the parents. Yeah. You know, millennials have backers, too. <laughs> That's nothing new. Nothing new. <laughs> but I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to drink. Let's get a drink on. Yes. All right. So, you guys, this week... We are drinking a fabulous drink that I have dubbed Money, Sex, Fame, Glamour. Money, Sex, Fame, Glamour. Glamour. Money, Sex, Sex, Fame, Glamour. Glamour. Yes. And so that is what we are drinking. You guys, I am so proud of myself on this cocktail if you know me, you know that I am not very good at layering drinks, but your girl did good on this yeah. one. So what you're going to need is three ounces of hypnotic and you're going to need two. Uh, you're going to take the hypnotic and you're going to put it in a shaker with ice, shake it up and strain it into a chilled cocktail glass. So that's a martini glass, you guys. And... After that, you're going to dump it, dump the ice, put fresh ice in it, and put two ounces of kinky pink liqueur, which we've just used Woo-hoo! last week, you guys. So you should still have some on your bar. If not, you should have bought another bottle like I have. <laughs> they love us this month. This is really good. Like I've been it. putting it in like wine spritzers. Me too. Lemonades. Just like a little bit. And they're really yep. good. Mm-hmm. Very good. And then you're going to do two ounces of vodka. Beautiful. And then you're going to do about uh, half an ounce of some 7-Up or Sprite. I use Sprite. And you're going to shake. You're not going to shake it. You're going to stir it. And then you're going to take a spoon and you're going to put it inside your martini glass right above the blue hypnotic. And then you're going to pour the pink mixture on top of the spoon and slowly have it fall into your glass as you raise the spoon up to the top and that is how you will layer your drink or else it's going to turn out purple which is still fine it doesn't really matter but (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just happy that I figured out how to do it. I'm so happy you're so happy. Yes. And so that is your money, sex, fame, glamour. Greeting, citizens. We are living in the age where the pursuit of all values other than money, success, fame, and glamour are either being discredited or destroyed. Yes! <laughs> I wish you had like a bullhorn. That's what you're missing. I do have one. Do you want me to go grab it? <laughs> okay. So here we go, you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Love you. Love ya. Pretty good. I feel like I'm getting fucked up at 21. I know that we're never supposed to be seen drinking anything but champagne. Never be seen drinking anything other than champagne. And never take heroin. Yeah, but your girl's been drinking and we, we put champagne on here a lot. So I thought we'd yeah, be this okay. Is in, this is this in podcast land. This isn't in real life. This isn't... This... You can't yes. see us. You guys can't see us. I'm like Barney, where you take a photo and I immediately have a champagne glass, but like I could be drinking anything. Oh my God. That's what my superpower would be. Is anytime you took a picture, instead of me grabbing my like suit, holding lapel, or popping a bottle, fucking <laughs> popping a bottle, sipping a glass of champagne. Before we go on to our herstory, yeah. and we're speaking about champagne and celebrating, the podcast here, Lights, Camera, Cocktails, would like to give a great congratulations to Jason and Smashley, Yay! who got engaged this weekend. Oh. So After so many years of them just being the most perfect couple in the whole goddamn world. I love you guys. Love you guys and your love. And your love. And uh, uh, yeah, I can guess I we, just say, talk about a movie magic moment. Watching the video that Jason put together to surprise Smashley and then have. Oh, my God. I was in tears. I was in tears. She looked gorgeous. She's getting all ready she in the was. limo. She's like dancing yeah. with her girls. And you're like, that girl has no idea that he's she about to no put a clue. ring on it. <laughs> a gorgeous ring on it. And you guys, we'll try to add it to our Instagram, his <laughs> lovely proposal video. You'll see cameo of me in there. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. We love you. And I always knew this day was going to come. And I'm just excited to tell our listeners out there all across the world. I got a new sister-in-law. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> Family getting bigger. Yes. All right. So, you guys, we are just so excited to get into this movie and to drink. We forgot to tell you who the fuck we are and what, what the fuck we doing. What are we doing? So, cocktails. here on Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Cocktails. We, we pair amazing cocktails. Movies. With amazing movies. Nope. And tonight is no different. And I am the... Our love child. Our love it's child. It's our love child. <laughs> Dumpster kitty's our love child. It's a kitty. Oh, it's our love child. <laughs> we'll call him Sprinkle. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, I am the costume-wearing, ecstasy-taking, K-hole-falling... Dancing Queen Zenobia. Ah, oh, beautiful. 
And I am your 4 a.m. lover, always turning out a different look, teaching yep. you how to be fabulous. Yes, you do. Lenny. This <laughs> is so true. <laughs> All right, so now that you know who the fuck we is, hello. <laughs> let's let's drink tonight. I'm ready. I just mixed up my drink because I wanted to see what it tastes like all together. It looks like dirty water we mixed up. I'm just gonna. Ooh, it tastes good mixed up actually. Yeah, it does taste really good mixed up. Again, I feel like I couldn't have more than two of these drinks. Honestly, it reminds me a lot of like first years of college. Hypnotic. That was the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh hypnotic definitely reminds me of being in my early 20s yeah and just drinking this on the rocks and just being like oh my god yes or having incredible hulks yeah with some hennessy but uh yeah tonight it is in our drink and it's the first time it's been on our show so hey everybody get ready for a little bit of her story <gasps> on Teach me, baby. Teach me the ways. Yep. On some hypnotic. So the reason why I picked this drink, because one, it is beautiful. And two, it's because of the colors, which would be blue, white, and pink, mm -hmm. which which is the colors of the trans flag. The trans flag. So in honor of that, we did that this week. But really, I've got this because I haven't had hypnotic in a long time. And I've been trying to find a reason to put it in there because somebody has said that we are not allowed to use blue carousel anymore in our drinks. So I have to find You know what? I have to say, I am being a little bothered by this bitch coming into our show telling us what we can and cannot drink. But you know what? I respect the rules. And I mean, I don't have to drink blue carousel. <laughs> But she's a bitch. <laughs> you never supposed to talk to the press and talk bad about somebody. That's rule number two. Number two, once something is printed, it automatically becomes true. So number three, never ever dish anyone in print. That's true. Never dish anyone in print. Yeah. Or podcast. <laughs> so let's give you a bit of her story. So Ralph... Jacoby, okay, so Ralph uh, Jacoby was a college dropout living with his parents on Long Island, New York. Oh my God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and one day he passed the Bloomingdale window and he saw a beautiful blue bottle of perfume just sitting in the window. And he was like, that would be a great liqueur. Oh, I want to drink that? Like, that's your I first I want to drink that. I want to drink that. Wouldn't that be beautiful and classy? That's kind of what ended up happening. He, <laughs> <laughs> Ralph hooked up with this guy named Nick Storm. And they have their hypnotic bottled in France. And it's mixed with cognac, premier vodka, and fruit juice. That's oh. what we are drinking in there. Okay. And it is 34 proof and 17% APV. So it's 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 pretty good. So in 2001, they failed 
to get major like major beverage manufacturers to sell their hypnotic. Nobody really wanted. They didn't understand. They're like, well, what are we supposed to do with this? So they started hustling and promoting their own shit, drinks in New York clubs and bars, events, parties, and in doing this, making connections, and they got Mr. P. Diddy, Sean Combs, to have this put in his New York restaurants. And so when he started doing that, it became big. And stars like Kanye West, Ludacris, Missy Elliott, Jay-Z, Little Kim, and Fabulous, they all started drinking it, being seen holding it, even putting it in their songs. And Fabulous puts it puts it in quite a few of his songs from around this time. And that's how oh, it God. and that's how it blows up. So that's literally how I remember knowing what it was is because of rappers and shit. And I thought it looked good. I wanted to drink it, too. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, by 2003, they had made $50 million off of this liqueur. I believe they might have sold it at that point, too. I don't know. But at now it is sold in over 70 countries around the world. And it is the top three liqueur sold in the United States. So yeah, that's a little bit of her story on a hypnotic, you guys. <laughs> I love it. So good. Just looking at it, it's just but like seriously it is it, it that is so culturally pr- important too, because it was just around that time, I remember. I was talking to my friend uh yesterday and he was like, yeah, man, I haven't had hypnotic since forever. And he's like, I drank it when I was like in my early 20s. And I was like, me yeah, too. Me too. <laughs> I was like, I probably haven't had it since college. But it wasn't something we bought or drank all the time. To be real with you, I thought it was quite expensive as a young drinker. And I was like, I'm not going to spend $28 on a bottle of whatever. No, I'll go do the $12 <laughs> of UV vodka and just pour it in some lemonade. But now... <laughs> Um, I'm excited to make some cocktails with this. I'm yeah. going to do some more research. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure it's going to pop up on the show again. I can't wait. This is the first emergence. Yeah, I haven't had any drinks. I literally haven't even had any drinks that had it in it. I love <laughs> nothing's it. Po- nothing's popped up because if it had, I would have definitely been like, ooh, hypnotic. I know. And I mean, I don't know who said it, but better than Blue Carousel. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, I'm just repeating the sentiments. Oh, yeah. The sentiments that you said yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you talk about yourself in a third person does not make it another person. Uh, But they don't know that. (laughs) They do now. No, because they are hypnotized. From this hypnotic. From this hypnotic, baby. I mean, I can understand why you call it hypnotic because it is hard to not look at it it's it's very beautiful it's like one of my favorite colors i know yeah i got them in the little bottles so i didn't get a Mm -hmm. huge bottle i got the mini one-shot bottles and they're so cute and i'm like okay they are so cute they're really adorable i'm having a really yeah this drink is strong and we haven't even finished the first one yet so i I know this is this is absolutely great everybody grab your money sex fame glamour cocktail and get ready for the motherfucking drinking game. Uh, yes. yes uh. So this was kind of 
easy, kind of hard to do this one because okay. there's so many obviously ones. But then when I really was trying to pick some like really good ones, it got it got a little harder. So, ooh, okay, I'm excited. You, you're gonna take one simp when someone is doing drugs. <gasps> Michael, I am not addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to glamour. You- I'm addicted to glamour. This is true. Oh, did you just see that? It just flew up my nose. I, I don't do drugs. Nor do I. Did you see that? It just flew right up my nose. It just flew up my nose. Oh my god. Yes. Huh? <laughs> I don't do drugs. I do. Yes. Which so there's a lot of that drug taking. You see them like in their little tent fort, snorting. Oh my god. How many people? How many people overdose in this movie? It's like, or not. So every time you take a simp, you're going to take a simp when Michael gets sent to Peter's office. So every time. That was quite a stunt. Flooding my basement. <laughs> Does the fire, the water sprinklers, or he's walking oh around God. naked and they call him in. So <laughs> funny. I love him. He's like, I love the eye patch. It's real Pirates of the Caribbean. I love the eye patch, by the way. It's very Pirates of the Caribbean. Arr. He lost it. Whatever. Arr. He, he lost his eye. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. He didn't even care. He didn't even care. So you gonna take a simp when you see Angel with his wings. So... <sighs> He has to have his wings on. Mm-hmm. He doesn't always have them on. No. I do love the first time we meet Angel. And she... uh, I'm Angel. Well, where's your wings? Michael. Huh? Well, where's your wings? wings? Where are your wings? Yep. He comes back and he's like, I found my wings. You know, I got my wings here. So good. Gorgeous fucking Victoria's Secret wings. I know. Like, oh my God. How do you even party in those? Like, I feel like you can't. You have to walk sideways to like no, get through absolutely. the crowd, or everyone has to move out your way. You're like, move, bitches! Angels is coming through. Next time, I'll make you VIP, very, very important person. So come on now, be an angel. Party in the truck. <laughs> he was so cute, and I'm talking about both angels. Like the real angel was gorgeous, and the actor angel was gorgeous. They're beautiful. It's true. This is always the sad part because this is where Michael do- takes the turn and starts to do drugs. It's really sad that you actually see the moment when this his whole life turns to shit. And he just doesn't care. And I think that in casting this movie, after seeing the real people that they're portraying, they did a really good on, especially look-wise, of like what these people look like. Everybody in yes. this movie looks pretty much like who they're supposed to look like. It's crazy. Maybe not so much Seth Green, but I think that he had... No, not Seth Green. It's just because his... Yeah, but he, had, he has his red hair. He had the whole persona, persona the, the essence of James St. Mm-hmm. James. So you're going to take a samp when Michael is rude to someone. <laughs> oh, God. It's like everything. Would I lie to you? Would I lie to you? Yes, all the time. All, All the, the time. time. I'm not lying this time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely anytime he's being like, I I don't love, but like where they're on the talk show and he's like, well, what do you do for a living? He's like, can't you tell? He's a drug. Can't you guess? He's a drug dealer. 
<laughs> He's a drug dealer. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? We're on national TV, girl. Yeah. We did all your drugs and we need more. <laughs> yeah. Or when he pisses in the champagne. In the champagne glass. And champagne exactly. tastes like piss. Michael, your champagne. Correction, your sparkling wine tastes like piss. He's like, oh, you want to taste piss? I think it's, I mean, it's very clever. He got him so good. Well, to be to be real with you, that is exactly how Michael was. He would pee off of like balconies onto the the bar and people standing by the bar. He would trick people into drinking their pee, like mm-hmm. his pee. Like that was totally That's him. That is totally him. <laughs> so I would never, never take anything I'll never from do that him. to you. You better not, because don't you dare ruin champagne for me. This is how I know that I would have known, because James grabs the champagne glass, but doesn't grab it. Yeah, he doesn't grab it by the stem. He grabs it by the cup. And I would immediately have been like, this isn't champagne. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or if... Even if it was, even if I might have thought it was champagne, I wouldn't drink it because it's hot, warm. I don't drink warm champagne. Yeah. No. So, oh, I got another good one there. He's rude. Where he he tells everybody on the show, he's like, oh, he might look older, but he just turned thirty. As you can see, years of abuse have taken its toll on the troll. <laughs> Although he looks much older, he just turned thirty. I am 21, and Michael Alec has stolen all of my ideas. Oh, I'm 21, Michael. Michael. Dare you lie about my age, Michael. I mean, he even used his identity when he got arrested and told them he had AIDS. Oh, my God, I know. Well, actually, Angel bailed you out. Me? Yeah, I told the police I was you. Oh, James, it's just all in fun. (laughs) And after I told them that you had AIDS, they gave me my own room with a VCR and ice cream. (laughs) Michael, I don't even like you. I have never liked you. I got a TV and ice cream. (laughs) Michael, I hate you. Michael, I hate you for making me say serious things, so I will only say this once. You've gone too far with the drugs. Have you looked in the mirror lately? (laughs) (laughs) This is true. But all I'm saying is, if I had to say that to someone, I'm going to say it like James yeah. St. James. I'm just going to be like, you know, I don't yeah, like I to be serious. I hate but... when you make me say serious things. Seriously. Seriously. So you're going to take a sample when skrink or skronk is said. And I love James St. James's whole monologue about talking about the. Let me just say this about that. Let me just say this about that. Scringle was just the beginning. Scringle begat Scrottle, and Scringle and Scrottle were the Lego blocks of a strange new world he was building for us all. You were either a Scring or a Scrod. I was a Scringlada if I was good, or a stupid Scrod lover if I was bad. Somehow, his dopey language caught on, like his stupid parties. Jealous much? <laughs> I know. I love it. Yes. Oh, uh, Michael. I'm going to have to hang up the phone now. Because you want to get the last word, and you want this to end with everyone liking you, and it's my movie. I can't let it end that way. This is my, my movie. movie. I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. Goodbye, Michael Allen. I, I do like when he calls him, and that's what he says to him on the, on the phone. You're like, oh, bitch. Scrink? Scrod. So... You gon' take a simp 
when someone says, Michael. <laughs> Michael. So Michael. 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 You think you're Peter Pan, Michael? Michael. Michael. <laughs> and they say his name quite often. They say it all the time. All the time. I'm really trying to get my act together and write Michael. Okay, so you all take a sip when they are at a party. So these are not going to be the outlaw parties. Oh, okay. These are just when they have the big major party. Wow. <laughs> a job. You won't regret this. We'll see. It's like when James St. James is in like the cage. It's like, don't feed him drugs. He's like, I need drugs. It's like in a cage. All of that shit. I love the doctor one where her outfit is so cute where they use like the doctor's mask to make like her like top and bottom. Oh, oh my I God. Know. So cute. So cute. I want one. Blood feast. Legs cut off, Michael. This is sick. Of course it's sick. It's supposed to be sick. No. But it's my birthday and I want to have a blood feast. So, yeah. Anytime there's a big party. Even his first party I'm going to give where nobody was there. I'm still going to give it for that one. <laughs> you going to take a simp when the cops show up. And this is cops or FBI agents. You want to know what that is? They're the feds. And they're watching me around the clock. They think I'm running some kind of drug supermarket. Oh, Peter, you're just paranoid. If they show up to the oh, outlaw God. parties where they take Michael from his bed. I yeah. do love it where they're like, Michael, the police are coming. Not now, James. We have to go before the police get here. Now get it. He's like, oh, great. Like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't care. care. But Michael, the cops are about to be here. They or where they pull him over when they're in the back of the fucking truck. I love it where they pull Christina out. She's like, ah, because she's like all on fucking acid. <laughs> I would have never. You could not have paid me get to, to get in the back of the truck, and definitely couldn't pay me to do it with a bitch who's on acid. Like, hell no. A sober licensed truck driver, I wouldn't even want to do it. Like, I seriously, honestly, like as soon as James St. James gets into the back of the truck. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of that truck. If I'm anything, I'd be the bitch who locked the door Lock for y'all. I'll be like, okay, go on. I'll meet you there. I mean, they only went like 10. <laughs> they, she couldn't even back it up or you turn it or none. So you gonna take a simp when James St. James has a new costume. Rule number two, make sure your outfit works in black and white. And that it's a conversation piece, even if you are the one doing the talking. It's blood feast for Jude Bride. Give me to the church on time. Oh, I love it. Oh my God, I love all of his costumes. I love the troll one. I think that is great with like the third eye and everything, the nose. Troll, saying troll. Oh, it's so good. A troll. He's just a troll. He's like, it doesn't matter what you are. You could have a hump on your back. Just throw some. I mean, if you have a hunchback, just. Throw a little glitter on it, honey. Go dancing. <laughs> so any of his awesome, awesome costumes. I do like the purple and green one where he has like the whole mask like thingies. Oh, it's so weird. It's so good. That's when they're in when Dallas. When they're in Dallas. Yeah. It's oh, great. God. Yeah, that's so good. Every look that James St. James pulls is so good. Fab. Fab. So you going to take a simp when Angel asks for his money. I want my money, Michael. <gasps> Give my money. 
Michael. He asks him quite a few times in this movie. To... At least four times. You better give me my fucking money, Michael. Like, even while he's like OD and he's like, Michael, where's my fucking money? And then he just like collapsed. Where's my fucking money? I don't know why he keeps giving them their drugs. Exactly. I would have cut them off a long time ago. And what I don't understand is that he, there's that other Peter uh, Gaddon is there, fucked up in the hotel room. Why don't you just make him pay you? Just that man's got like millions of dollars. I would have seriously, like, if I honestly, I'd be like, dude, you got to settle up. I got to leave. I don't want to be here. I'm bringing you all these drugs. Just settle up with me, man. Like, honestly, he would have done it. He was yeah. so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you got the money. It's not even that much. I, if I was an angel, I would have definitely got yeah. a safe, and I would have just had to save. Yeah, leaving your shoes was not smart. So those bitches couldn't get in. I would have left and been like, uh, James St. James, you need a roommate, girl? I know. I know you've been cut off. Got so this little apartment. <laughs> His apartment was yeah. cute. You're so just you're gonna... jealous because I'm getting away with murder. <laughs> I know! <laughs> Fuck you. I'm uh, not okay. really jealous of you right now at all. <laughs> like, at all. I'm the I'm the angel on your shoulder to keep telling you, like, you should turn yourself in. Michael, you should turn yourself in. <laughs> like, seriously. I love you. He's like, oh, I'm just sitting here doing an interview telling everybody how I turned you in. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so you're going to finish your drink. When James St. James comes up with Disco 2000. Disco 2000! Yes. I love his, like, look, his breakdown on how to be a DJ. He's like, you know, you just... If, if you are going to be a superstar DJ, there are three simple rules you need to remember. Number one, you can always rely on the Studio 54 compilation set. They're pre-mixed. They last for hours. And number two... Madonna always works. And number three, when all else fails, play techno. It's nondescript, non-recognizable, and everyone will think that you are so cutting edge. You know, edgy. <laughs> He's like, yeah, Disco 2000. Disco 2000. And Michael's snaky ass is just sitting there listening. You pathetic drug addict losers. Michael. And he's like, Peter, hey, Disco 2000. <laughs> uh, you're going to finish your drink. Finish drink. You're going to finish your drink when the club kids' money, success, fame, glamour. So when they're in Dallas. Money, success, fame, glamour. Money, success, fame, glamour. Yeah, That's such a good part, too. What does he say? I like love out. He's like, you go on and... You go on in five minutes. Go on. On? Yeah, Like, they didn't know what to do. Oh, but we don't do anything. (laughs) They don't. We're just famous for being famous. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you really should stay off of (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, finish your drink. You're going to finish your drink when the rat shows James Angel's death oh i hate that part Ugh. when that happens you're gonna f- pour it all out into your mouth for sweet baby angel because he didn't deserve to get what he got he didn't deserve that. if anyone michael deserved that shit because you're just stealing fucking drugs 
Who knows if whoever Angel's buying the drugs from, they're probably threatening him too. Like, bitch, where's our money? Yeah, exactly. Where's our money? Like, you're like, oh, go get us some more drugs. How am I supposed to get more drugs when I don't have the money from the last batch I fucking got? (laughs) That's not how drugs work. That's not how drugs work. work. That's how it works. Do you have anything you would like to add to the drinking game? Um, No, I think it's positively perfect. No joke. I'm absolutely smashed already. Oh, okay. Well, that is the completely perfect drinking game. Yes. Uh, I know. This drink is pretty strong, y'all. I know. I already feel it, and I'm only halfway through this. I've been drinking. I've been drinking. I was drinking, but I got really tired. I told you I went to bed late, so I took like a mid nap. <laughs> like I need, to, I can't do this. All right, so are you ready for the stats? <gasps> Give me those stats, stats, stats. I want to hear those stats, stats, stats. Stat me up, stat me up, stat me up. You ain't got nothing to us. Stat me up. You getting statted? You've just been statted. You just been statted. So. This movie dropped June 28th, 2003, baby. Ah, 2003, I was in high school. I definitely watched this on TV, mm-hmm. on like HBO or something. I did not go to the movies to see this. And I just thought it was crazy that Macaulay Culkin was playing a gay guy who like murdered somebody. I was like, this is <laughs> awesome. So... Uh, as a young child, I did not know that this was a true story. This is definitely a true story, you guys, and we will get into that. Yeah, we will. But the budget for this movie was $5 million. So if you translate that into <laughs> seven, $7 million in 2021 money, and it made $782,666. Thousand dollars, so it did not make its money back at all. Not at all. Not at all. So translate that into like twenty twenty one money. It made about like one point one million dollars. So yeah. So disappointing. Very disappointing. Like I said, I did not go to the movies. I don't remember it being. Um. I don't remember seeing commercials or anything for it. it I just happened to see it on the TV. Yeah, it didn't have a lot of advertising for it. I remember we we rented it from Blockbuster off VHS. <laughs> Old school, you guys. Old school. So VHS were these big boxes <sighs> that you... <laughs> and Blockbusters was this, like, store you could go into and rent them. There was a bunch of late fees. And Netflix put them out of business. So, um, <laughs> and don't forget to rewind the tapes. <laughs> be kind, re- be kind, rewind be kind was literally a thing. Rewind. So, you ready for the Rotten Tomatoes? Oh yeah, give me those Rotten Tomatoes. Critics, twenty nine percent. I don't think that they got it. No. I think that two thousand and three still was not. Uh, the gay renaissance that we are in now where, you know, it is celebrated and looked at as, you know, beautiful art. Not necessarily this this movie, but 
queer movies in general are, you know, becoming way more popular and more seen and put more money into. And this one was not. And this was made by a company that no one had ever heard of. Mm -hmm. So it, I think that's exactly why. I mean, it's not the best camera work. Not, you know, it does feel. It gives me very art house 90s. Like those, it does give me very art house nice. If you were to just put it on and say, hey, when do you think this movie was made? I would have said late 90s. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, and early 2000s isn't that far off, but that is the budget that you were looking at. They obviously spent, the, mo- the most of the money was spent paying the actors to try to get some yeah. kind of pull everyone to come see it because, I mean, you've got Macaulay Culkin, you've got Seth Green, you've got, you know... I mean, I don't really care for him, but Marilyn Manson, I guess, was a big... You have all these, like, high-profile actors coming into the scene at that point, and well, besides Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green, but it's it's not as... It, it definitely wasn't... I think it was tr- definitely trying to find a niche audience. Right. And even then, I don't know... I don't know exactly. I don't know what it was that... It was it a, not a large distribution or? I also feel like that too, because, because like honestly, you said, if you I never write a passage. Like as a queer kid, you had to watch this movie, not because this is a lifestyle. It was more of a, you know, don't fall into this scheme yeah. of doing a lot of drugs and partying and trying to fill this hole. Like I love that line. What does he say? He's just like, I just want to be loved, and he's like, there's not enough love in the world to satisfy you, Michael. Yeah. You want too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just wanting to fill that void because when you're left unloved as a queer teenage kid does, that you know, they, they have they, they want to feel something at least to make them feel better and to feel loved and accepted and wanted. And this is that weird world that would just give them unconditional satisfaction yeah. with a simple pill. Exactly. So I can understand why the critics gave it a 29. That is just me looking into the scope of that time. I I think they also, uh, I I get the impression that they don't like the idea of glamorizing a murderer. Which is also the huge thing that, like you said, we watched this when we were young. I watched this, like, again in, like, college. Like, I haven't watched this in a very long time, but it's always, like, sat with me. Mm -hmm. And I've heard the story... Um, pop up on different podcasts, true crime podcasts over the years. And yeah. it's just kind of like my favorite murder did one um, that I re-listened to this week. And it just like, y- you're right. This movie does glamorize. And James St. James says it at the end. Like, I don't want people walking away from here. Like feeling bad fe- for you, feeling bad for you, which it kind of does feel like, and we'll get into why exactly I feel like it feels that way. It mainly has to do the writers and the directors of of the way that we we get it because of their relation to the story. The audience gave it 75%. Love it. I love it. Better, I understand. It's a classic. It's a cult classic for some. It's a cult classic. For my ZZ Fresh... I'm going to give it a 90 due to its accuracy to kind of tell the true story. I mean, it leaves out the murder aspect of it a lot more, but the whole club scene scene, Mm -hmm. it does do a great snapshot of what that was like in that time. Mm -hmm. And so I give it a 90 and I love the casting. Yeah. 
I would and say the costumes and the costumes. I would also actually agree with you. I I thought about this and the Lenny Zest. I'd put on this would be a ninety percent. I the commitment between the actors to characters is phenomenal. I know that mm. some people had a little bit of problem with Macaulay Culkin's take on Michael. They thought he was a little too proper. He but... is definitely not. He's not doing. Uh a real Michael impression if you saw them side by side on mm-hmm. the way that they act are yeah. totally different yes. and I feel like Macaulay Culkin found a way for us to feel for him exactly. which is kind of what you're supposed to do especially if you are playing a villain or a bad person you as the actor have to find a way to relate and sympathize with what they're going through and he did it so well that you do kind of walk away like Feeling for him a little, a little bit. bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Humanizing him. Yeah. In in a way, for sure. And the story, I love that, you know, obviously, you know me, I love that it was a book before a film, that James St. James James had a lot to do with the movie, so it didn't lose too much of his perspective on on the matter, which people seem to forget that this is from his perspective. Like, Michael, actually, when he came out of jail, did not agree with a lot of what was represented as himself. I did watch a... I did watch... He had a... That show Pew. Pew. And he was just basically breaking down all the things in the book that he said were not true. Exactly. But then I also want to take that with a grain of salt. Because not only does the book make you look bad, but... You are a drug-fueled, like, 20-something-year-old. You do not remember how shit goes down because, bitch, you were so high. Yeah. You were in a K-hole. You weren't, like, paying attention to all this, what was going on, and not saying that uh, James St. James wasn't on the same boat with you because he was. He was, but James St. James always did stress very specifically that he didn't do drugs to completely eliminate himself and his consciousness, which Michael was definitely abusing drugs in that way. Yeah. And he was doing it for the glitz, glamour, the uh, celebutante, if you will. That was what his key term was. He he did it for that kind of glamour. I mean, to party from 12 o'clock to 7 or 11 in the morning you need to take some sort of drugs. Just drinking is not going to make you go through that. Um, you and I didn't do heavy drugs. This is true. But, I mean, and it we wasn't... party till the sun came up in San Francisco. But that also wasn't, like, a every week thing, every night thing. That's, like, their routine. That wasn't our routine. That was like, you know, oh shit, it's that one Saturday that we about to turn it up this month. I think you're right. That we never, God. Bitch. We're like peas in a pod. Who Have you ever heard of a pea changing his pod? Pity the pod. I pity the pod. So yeah. Um, and that's the stats, y'all. Give me those stats. I love it. I feel good about it. Oh, look at when he's in his red. This is the weird part. This this got really weird for me. We will talk about this because this is real too. Yeah. <laughs> the, his storyline specific, that whole... Oh I my God. Did you watch I the know. limelight? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. We had so much fun on this. I'm not going to lie. Girl, I guess you know how many, really you know funny. how many other fucking movies and documentaries and shit we watched over this. Kind of shit we had to watch over this. 
I know. <laughs> I know, but I I had to say I enjoyed it. I did, too. Uh, I can't wait to break down Peter's story because his story is, like, awful. Um, like, I feel so bad yeah. for him. He Angel had it the worst, but he had it second worst out of all, everybody in this mm-hmm. story. Hands down. Him and his fam. Hands down. I know. Okay. So... I haven't been here in a minute. I forgot my library card. But can I check out a book anyway? Get on in here, you crazy cool cat. We're open late, super late, serving coffee spiked with Bailey's ready to tuck some books. Y'all, are you ready for this? Lanny's Literary Library, where the books are fresh. Yes. All right, so Disco Bloodbath, a fabulous but true tale of murder in Clubland, was the 1999 memoir by our one and only James St. James. He was coined termed the Celebutant. He considers himself the original club kid, which he was on the scene long before Michael came around. Not to age him. So it's actually out of print. You still can get, you can't get it a hard copy anywhere. You can get a paperback book, but it is out of print. James St. James memoir, it did end up becoming a lot of, what he originally wanted to attribute it to was his life as a club kid in New York and living like that. Unfortunately, this whole thing fell into his lap. Michael admitted to killing Angel, not just to him, but actually to a lot of the club. A lot of people, yeah. He, I'll I'll give him that. He didn't lie. He was like, I don't want to lie. That's not my brand. I'm not lying about it. So he really did tell the truth and said, we killed Angel, which... I mean, I I saw an interview with him in a documentary, and he legit was like, I killed Angel. Ooh, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) That is what he said. He, like, legit admitted it. Well, that was on the the shockumentary. Yes. So this all spills out all over the place. Anyway, so during the time of, this was, he started writing the book even before the police got involved with the murder. He knew about the murder. Everybody knew about it. Nobody was really coming forward and talking about it with the authorities, but even the authorities knew and were like coming around and speaking about it to people. So this is during that time that James St. James is writing this novel and he's running around everywhere trying to sell it. I believe he did about 100,000 copies of the book. It never made it on bestsellers, unfortunately. It did get recognized, though, in the community as a really wonderful... It, it caught eyes, obviously, with our producers and our directors who own WOW Production. They said, listen, we need to make this into something. They knew the guys from the scene, so they picked up. the diff- There's not actually a lot of difference between disco bloodbath the language is different obviously but they still kept a lot of the playful dialogue that james st james wrote i mean as you can see his character he already has so much attitude and great he has a great way of delivery with all of his lines all of his work and that was true to form everything about it is in there the like how to be fabulous is in there all the steps to being fantastic being the best club kid all the wrongs michael did to him and he still forgave him that was actually one of the most incredible thing the, the most incredible topics that gets lost a little bit in the film because you start to feel so bad for james st james which you should because his life was 
hijacked for a minute because of all of this that was going on. Yeah. What's incredible, though, is that in the book, you get to see the relationship form more deeply between Michael and James St. James, which doesn't make it too hard to recognize why, even after everything, they stayed close. And they did. Up until his death, they stayed. They were doing shows together. They were talking constantly. They were friends. They were very close brothers. And I think that gets a little lost in the transition from book to film for this one. But everything is true to form. It is. They, like we had just previously talked about, uh, Michael, when he get, he got out of prison, spoiler alert, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he gets um, out. When he gets, he gets out, he starts doing this show, Pew, and he did address a lot of the things that he felt were wrong between the book to the to the movie and then just in general flat out wrong were were not factual but again it's cause for speculation like he had a problem with the way the cat was represented that he would never have let the cat die that way yeah like injecting him with the drugs and whatnot the cat died of his own accord i guess he was like he got bit by some kind of like rabid rodent. He was like, yo, man, I might not have eaten and shit might have not have been paid, but that cat was fed. Yeah. That's what he said. That cat was fed. And he said that he, the, the neighbor was t- always taking care of it as well. So yeah. like it, he, it had nothing to do with the overdosing of any kind. And it's just like little things that he he suspected that James St. James puffed up a little bit just to make it a little bit more alluring to read about and a little glamorizing their lifestyle and their relationships with other people and with each other and so there's always that yeah to consider but all in all i would say i believe it to be true most like all of it to be honest i i really do think that it's an an accurate account of what was going on in their lives it unfortunately didn't make James St. James too much money. He got a really, he got a great advance for the book, and he definitely made it back. But he says that his royalties on the book and the exposure really didn't get him that far. Unfortunately, he should do a, a re-release. This is a great time for doing that. Uh, there's a whole generation of kids who don't know anything about the club scene and they're yes. queer. Uh, predecessors they don't and this is a great time since true crime is so big in our pop culture in our world there's millions of people out there who are like obsessed with murders and catching the criminals and all these things murderinos if you're uh my favorite murder uh person then you you have already heard about this story and it should make people want to reread these books or read it for the first time so i definitely think that James St. James should try it again because this would be a great time for it. I hate you for making me say serious things, so I will only say this once. Listen, listen, Zenobia, I didn't want to tell you, but you have like 17 overdue books. Oh! You are behind. You need to either vacate the library or give me all your goodies. Ow! I'm going to give you my goodies. And then I'm going to vacate the <laughs> library. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Librarian Lenny. Of course, um, So I just kind of want to give you a little bit of history on where we are in the world when this movie is taking place. Yeah, let's place. jump in. 
So this is about the club kids. So this movie is taking place in the late 80s through the mid 90s. So this is the same time period as when we were watching Paris is Burning. This is just another queer culture. I would say that it's the white equivalent of them on the other side of New York City. So while all these other great houses are out here voguing and, you know, battling down on the ballroom scene, we got the club kids out there who are on a whole different level. So these club kids are birth in New York. I mean, it did spread across the country, but their headquarters basically is New York. Mm-hmm. And they're birthed out of Andy Warhol's scene, his factory scene of just making people famous, pretty for no reason, doing really artistic things Fashion, with your clothes, with art. art, with your music, movies. All of these things were being done. He is the king of that, I will say till this day, of like opening the eyes of so many people and kind of changing the fabric of the way that we do art. And so his party scene birthed with uh, the deaths of the plague that was plaguing America around that time, AIDS. This is the mixture of those two things. Being, I watched so many interviews of club kids over this week, and basically a lot of things that they said was it's like, yeah, we're scared of having sex, so we don't, and we just basically get really sexy or we get very artsy, and we go and we express our passion that way instead of and dance and dance instead of going out there and you know spreading this plague around. Actually, I really appreciate that too. I hate to interject, but the Geraldo, yeah. Uh, interview what you're I think exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about and he's just like I don't believe it for a second that there's the non-protected sexual sex happening and he's like whoa like we are all so consciously aware you have no idea I have I have five condoms in my pocket as right now yeah yeah and it's like you got to think of it it was the next generation of kids who had already seen tons of tons of people just drop dead and treated like they were nothing Families, you know, not claiming bodies and not claiming their people, not going to funerals because of this disease and the stigma that's with it, that these kids totally went to the other side. You can do Mm -hmm. ecstasy and rub on somebody and feel on something and kind of feel the same sensation you would feel if you were having sex. And it's, you know, I guess safer a little if you do it right, I guess. I mean, I won't say it's safer, (laughs) but... You know, it's a whole different thing because at this time, they didn't really realize how strong and dangerous ecstasy and ketamine is. Like, they didn't really yeah. know, like, the way that we know now. But it's it's not that these kids weren't having sex. It's that they were the first generation of us to be smart about it. To be smart about it because they just had, like you said, they just had to experience all of this tragedy and trauma. Still experience. It's the, the 90s. It's not like it's, it's gone. Still experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not, it hasn't gotten better. It's just gotten, it's improved mm-hmm. in ways that. Well, people are more informed, you know, they were thinking you could spread it by just sharing a drink or sitting on a toilet seat, you know, like things like that was running rapids that people were scared to uh, come out and the club kids were the first big party scene for them. There's a quote, I believe Michael says it on one of the 
talk shows that he's on, but he says, so you can't know if you're going to live tomorrow, so party today. Boom. <laughs> and that was like their mentality on everything. And the 90 kids got crazy. I watched a documentary that I will talk more about called uh, The Limelight. And I watched it on YouTube and I was reading people's comments and people were like, oh, I used to go there when I was young and people don't party and dance like they used to. And people just go and stand around at clubs and they don't really do these things. And I left a comment and I was like, after the shit show that we went through in 2020, I believe that that insane party scene is going to come back because people need it. Like people, people need want it. it. Yeah. yeah. People need it. They want it. We're about to have insane big ass parties. It is going to get crazy. And a lot of things that happened before this, it kind of with the AIDS crisis, it kind of slowed down the party scene from the seventies. That was rampant Raven, like it's club 54 and studio 54. <laughs> Studio yeah, 50. running rapid like Studios Fifty Four, but um, I think that that's exactly where we're going to be. We're we're about to head to a new renaissance of that, and mm-hmm. I plan on being a part of it just smartly. Yeah, just be smart, people. So um, let's talk uh, about the directors and writers. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump on in. They're two and the same. So we have Fenton Bailey. And Red Bailey, Bailey like the drink, and Randy Abarto. They met as students at NYU, Mm. like so many people do, and they became friends, and they were weird, and they got along great. They were both interested in music, so they start it started a band called the Pop Tarts. I love that. Yes, and they went out there and they tried to sell their music to the world and it kind of didn't work so they started this company called the world of wonder or wow wow yes (laughs) and uh once they started that they basically were kind of doing it so that they could hustle their pop tart band so they could be famous rock stars (laughs) which did not happen and what ended up happening is way better than them being a fucking rock star they have money for days anyway So they were club kids. They were in the scene. Mm-hmm. They were DJs or playing pop tarty music <laughs> at clubs and stuff, you know, so they were in the scene. Something that I feel like in the movie is based mainly off of their encounter. I mean, not necessarily. It's probably a mixture of theirs and James St. James, but they were working at a club and so was Michael. He was like a bus boy or something and he pulled them aside and was like I want to throw parties how do I do this what do I do let me take you to dinner and so they're like sure you can take us to dinner and mm-hmm. he takes them to the fabulous the beautiful McDonald's and buys them some food and <laughs> picks their brain on how to do this mm-hmm. and so they are definitely part of the scene that's why I said that this movie feels very accurate and real because they know the people that they legit know the people that they're have portrayed in their movies. They're friends with them. Yeah. They knew them. They knew them. They were a part of the scene. 
you're part of the scene. They showed up to the outlaw parties. They were, you know, coming around and hanging around. And so this is their, you know, scene Mm -hmm. around that time. I think that they are a little older than everyone else. So they weren't, like, fully out there like the youngins. But they were definitely. And they are lifelong friends with the great, the one, the only Miss RuPaul, Mama Ru. They met when Ru was a nobody and they were kind of nobodies. And they went to like a New York uh, convention to help find, you know, young artists and help them get signed and stuff like that. So Miss Ru goes in there wearing like football pads and like a loincloth and like a big ass mohawk beautiful oh god i love that photo and they go and have you know a meeting and rue says that's the first time that someone looked at her and knew the struggle that she had gone through to get to where she is and could see Mm -hmm. that her amazing potential that she has Rue is our most famous of famous club kids. So don't ever forget that. That's where she started. Um, And the club kids not only had their own photographer, but they had their own filmography there. So I spent a couple hours watching a bunch of home videos of these kids just kind of hanging out. You know, RuPaul's birthday party. She shows up and she's... With her little shake and go wig and, you know, not blending her makeup. Like, she's not the Rue, Mama Rue that we know today. She is baby Rue. And it's just, it's it's very crazy. So And Rue was on a couple of the she was interviews. And, like, one of them I cracked up because... Here's Rue saying, well, I don't look good in three-piece suit. And in my head, I'm like... Yes, you do! Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. I was like, your suits are some of the most beautiful suits. Yes, girl, you look good in a suit. Legendary. So, like, I'm watching Rue, and they're still giving these inspirational talks. Like, that is still RuPaul. Even at this young age, definitely not blending. Not blending. Shake and go wig. Completely raw. Yeah. Yeah. She looks good. She does. But, like, she's seen some Yeah, she looks good. For that time period, bef- <laughs> for that time before period. before we learned about but, lace fronts, but she does. But she was still inspirational. She, I think she always had her own agenda, for sure. I agree because she says she says one of her catchphrases in that when she's super young, yeah. that she says now, "We're all born naked, well, and the rest is drag." The rest is and drag. I, and, that, and I just start screaming. I'm like, "Bitch, you've been saying it since then." <laughs> You've been saying it since the beginning. You have a song about it. Mm -hmm. We're all born naked and the rest is dry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't know uh, WOW, the world of wonder, they are a huge queer production company. So that's a a reason why I think that their Rotten Tomato was a 29 because they were a company that people had never fucking heard of, had no clue. Uh, This movie is the very first feature film on uh, WOW Productions. This is their very first. Uh, the one before that would be the documentary, which would be 
Party Monster, the Shockermentary, which I definitely watched. I did too. Uh, I did too. <laughs> it was kind of hard to find. You do definitely have to go to the World of Wonder website mm-hmm. and subscribe to them, which I did. And I watched it and was just like, wow, this is their first thing that they like really did. And the if you have WoW, I would definitely say please watch it. It is very it gives way more detail and kind of shows the scene of the people and the real people that we talk about and we see in this movie are in that documentary they're all there and you they're all there and from you know kiyoki to michael everybody's there minus angel and they were doing it before michael was even arrested wow videos consist of like a bunch of youtube stuff with a a bunch of our drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. Obviously RuPaul's Drag Race. All of the aspects of them, you know, Europe, Canada, Australia, Brazil, all of these ones are also part of the WoW family. Who knew that when they started this tiny little company that no one ever heard about and cared about in 1991 that we'd be sitting here in 2021 and these people shows are winning Emmys and they're like millionaires and and they're literally opening up the queer world to its people to their allies who want to know more and yeah there's quite a few that I would say go ahead and look at some of their shows and movies and YouTube channels like Trixie and Katya have one that I fucking love. <laughs> oh, I love them so much. And that was, that was really cool because then, so James St. James still mm-hmm. works with WoW and has his he own sure still still works with now, where he has tons of drag queens that are RuPaul alumni and they all come over and they do his makeup differently. And it's really cute. And Katya was one, of course, and so was yeah. Trixie. And uh, it just cracked me the F up. Very much in the WoW world, uh, it's pretty much why I know who he is. I mean, it took me until I was older and the internet was better for me to put that this character is the same person. Like, you oh, know, because they don't really say his name the way that we say it in the world oh james st james like you you say the whole thing a pimp named slipback like you you don't shorten the name you say the whole name and in the movie all they call him is james so you know it i it it didn't like click to me but once it did i was just like oh my god you're so fabulous i have loved you (laughs) so that's a little bit about our directors thank you you guys definitely did a nice indie film that feels like it's from the 90s you got a lot of Mm -hmm. the stuff right obviously because you were there and they do have a huge archive of videos on youtube not wow but i'm talking about just of the club kids so yeah yeah. so um are you ready for a little bit of aka's give me those aka's so, AKA, also known as, is the title of this movie, Around the World. There were not too many AKAs. Party Monster is translatable all over the world. Um, but I do got two here for you. Okay. So, if we went to Romania, Ooh. this movie would be called Jolly. Jolly. Yeah, I don't get that one. It's Jolly. 
What about this movie is jolly? Tell me. It is completely jolly. No. They no. have fun. They party. It's jolly. A jolly good time. Okay. So if we went to Madarasha, this movie would be called Club Mania. I like that. I kind of like that. Yeah. Me I like too. Club Mania. So, Russia, you got the best one yeah. thus far. But everybody else is party, party Monster. I mean, it's a good, it's a good title. Let's talk about Macaulay Culkin real quick. We have definitely already talked about him in our Home Alone movie that we did last oh Christmas. Goodness. And we will be doing him in the future for Home Alone 2 this yeah. Christmas. <laughs> so if you want to learn a little more fun facts about his start, I would definitely start there. Wish we did Uncle Buck as well. We've talked about Macaulay Culkin a lot. This is a big one, though, because... he. Was retired from acting by the time that he started this. He had not starred in a film in nine years. But I do want to thank this movie for being made because it got him off of the couch. And we also got saved the year after this, which he does a great job. And he does such a good job in that. So I'm very happy that he came out of this. Uh, When they wrote the script for this movie, Macaulay Culkin was the one that they wanted. There was no one else that they were thinking about for this. The very first person that they got for the movie was Seth Green. Was Seth Green. And when they told Seth, hey, we really want Macaulay Culkin to play Michael, he went in on Macaulay Culkin and was like, please, girl, please, please, please. You'd be perfect for this movie. You should do this movie. It'd be good. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's anything big. You're not going to be, but it'll at least stretch your acting muscles so that, you know, you're the best. And so definitely, I'm very glad that he convinced him to do this movie. I believe that they got kind of close on doing this movie as well because they... That's what I was reading. They call they would call each other and talk on the for phone hours. for hours as Michael and James St. James. They mm-hmm. would sit there and have their own little, you know, hen party and just talk and, and make up things just so that they could feel their characters, which definitely... Is felt. I one of my favorite lines is he's like, "You have to come to my party. You're my best friend." And he's like, "How am I your best friend when I don't even like you?" <laughs> that one gets me every time. I I love it. But Macaulay Culkin does a great job. Um, I don't think that he got Michael down. They don't have the same speech pattern. Michael, real Michael, is like listening to. No, listening to him in interviews is like when you go to a party and you meet someone new that you never met, but you know that they are heavily into drugs just by the way that they like move and talk. You're like, oh, you've been doing like coke and heroin and meth and K and like your brain cells are just scattered all over the place. And that is exactly what you kind of get with at least older Michael I'm not sure exactly how younger Michael was I mean seeing him on talk shows he was not they were on quite a few at least four different talk shows talking about this and he was nothing like he is in the movie as in like putting people down you know he was quiet like you said and when they ask him questions and they dubbed him the king of the cub kids like or maybe he told them like yeah i'm the king of the cub kids and but that's what they referred to him as it just seemed as though there were liberties taken i'm sure to just accentuate specific maybe flaws that people did see in michael 
Because I'm sure he was like that. I'm sure. Like, to his friends and shit. Absolutely. I bet that there was a part of him that, a little, a seedier side that we all didn't get privy to know. I do not appreciate the way Geraldo talked about them and talked to them. Very rude. He would ask people, like, you're a man, right? And it's like, bitch! I'm dressed as a woman, so that is what I am at this moment. Yeah, like, it was very don't be rude. It was... I mean, obviously, it is a different time, and we don't talk and think the same way uh, that we do now. But it did offend me and, and upset me a lot. I was like, what the fuck yeah, is wrong, wrong with you? With you. <laughs> Whatever. Anything else about Macaulay Culkin you want to talk about real quick? Anything he, he did, it was great. He did such a good job. That's no, I really don't. He did such a good job. It was nice to see him return, and it seemed as though this was a project he he could be passionate about. So mm-hmm. it was nice that this is how he returned to film. And I do, I honestly, yeah. I think him and Seth Green just they make this they movie make awesome. this movie awesome. They do, and just they're back and forth. Ooh, it's tea. I think I love the way that he walks and his. He just walks in his heels like he's like a little baby, like a a little baby wearing heels. Like he just takes little steps, steps like in his his little platforms, his little uh, da 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 -da undies, (laughs) just walking down fucking a New York street. That was one of my favorite recalls from the director, Fenton Bailey, when I was watching interviews between him and James St. James. And they were talking about the filming between the two gentlemen they just could not get enough when they would get all in costume and they got to walk around the yes. streets of New York City and walk around just being themselves in the moment. And they were doing guerrilla style filming. There wasn't this big setups where they were blocking off streets and whatnot. No, the boys were just getting dressed up and walking about. And Fenton was saying how Macaulay and Seth just had so much fun being able to like make a gritty movie like this and get really into mm. the character and just absorbing each other's energies. I just I can assume that they were just feeding off each other nonstop. I do want to talk about the real Michael real quick. So Michael is a lot like, uh, I mean, a lot of the things in the movie did happen to him. Um, his mom is very close to him the way that she is in this movie and definitely partied with them. He did definitely dose her with some E one time. And that's true. <laughs> Watching him retell the story of what he did to Angel is gut wrenching yeah. because I feel like he himself doesn't. He's, he says that he takes responsibility for it. Like, you know, I, I have to take responsibility because I was sober when I first did drugs. So I have to be responsible for the things I did when I was on drugs. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I agree and appreciate that. But it, it seems like he's quite far removed from the real shit. But apparently there was argue over drug money, which totally makes sense. And that Angel attacked him. These are all just what the people who are living say that he attacks him and that their friend freeze comes and hits him with the hammer a couple times and they kind of smother him and put him in a bathtub with a bunch of ice. Now the thing that they differ on is that there was no Drano uh, injected into him. 
that they did pour it on top of him to try to mitigate the smell. Um, and he was left in the apartment for a week and they cut his legs and arms off after doing huge amount of heroin. And like he says in the movie, he says in real life that he was hoping that he would do enough to, that he would die and that there would be two bodies for someone else to have yeah. to deal with. Um, but he didn't. And that they borrowed a friend's car and dropped his legs and arms into the river. And then a couple days later, they got in a cab and drove and dumped a box full of the rest of him. And it took a storm for the box to be washed up ashore, but that's how they found him. And I believe it took like maybe six weeks before they could identify Angel as Angel because they initially thought that he was an Asian man. Um, but it took a while for them to realize who did it. But like you said, Michael did not bite his tongue and told people and he said he told people because he felt like if I have to bear this, that I need to pass off the weight on my shoulder to someone else. And I believe that he did it because he wanted someone to turn him in so that he could yeah, pay for what he, he did. Yeah, he said he had his guilty conscience but, and that it, he couldn't, he couldn't yeah. stop feeling terrible. But I don't believe that he paid his dues, his real time, because, because the mayor of New York... Rudy Giuliani, boo! That crook was on a uh, drug war and was trying to clean the city of drugs and make it so, you know, rich white people could feel comfortable in the city of that never sleeps. So uh, they were raiding the nightlife, the limelight club scene, and they basically just wanted michael to turn and flip on peter so yeah. in doing this they dropped the murder charges to manslaughter. manslaughter which means that him and freeze were get about 10 to 20 years and he got 18 freeze committed suicide uh and the thing that really pisses me off is that we don't ever really... Michael is always like, he is the murderer, he's the murderer, but he's not the only person that did this. And we don't ever, in all the interviews and stuff, Freeze is kind of just... Silent. Silent. He's not mentioned as much. You know, he's the one who took it to the next level. If we believe their story, he's the one who escalated it by hitting them with a the hammer. So, yes. like, we definitely need to put some uh, eyes and talk about how he is a monster as well, but he's left out of this story. He's left out of a lot of the documentaries. and They don't really talk about him. They talk about Michael. Um, but there was two murderers, bitches, and let's not forget yeah. that. Let's not forget it. So uh, Michael spent 18 years in prison. So by the time he came out, he had not seen Party Monster. He had not seen the documentaries. I believe he had read the book by then. I believe so as well. James believe, St. James sent in the book. Yeah, I believe he read the book while he was in prison, but he hadn't seen anything else. Uh, and it he came into a world with the internet and knowing that not only do like the people who remember it, remember it, but now it's like everybody knows and you can't really hide from it. So he did take yeah. that and 
tried to make a name and money off of his crime, which is very disgusting to me. And uh, as of December 25th, 2020, he was found dead from a heroin overdose. He just could not let go of that shit. And it ended his life in his 50s, mid-50s. And to be real with you, good rins, man. Angel didn't deserve what you did to him at all. And you didn't deserve to be let out of jail to be able to make money off of it. So I don't care. <laughs> but this movie's awesome. <laughs> but this movie is awesome. And I will say, again, I honestly love this story for James St. James. <laughs> yes, he's why. What I will say is what I thought was really endearing and nice is that James St. James, when he found out that Michael was coming out, he made a whole list like his How to Be Fabulous, of things that Michael can expect. Did you read these? No. Oh, my God. They're so funny. Yeah, because he so, came into a whole different century, man. So he, he he's just like, you don't know. He's like, there's a few things that you can look up, videos that you need to watch, like Charlie Bit Me, Two Girls One <laughs> Like No, not Two Girls One Cup. I'm not joking. One of my favorites is, if you need a conversation opener, try gluten. It's all anyone talks about anymore. Say you're thinking of going gluten-free and see how many people light up. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> There's James, so same James. I need you to I write mean, a how for me to live, please. Honestly, I don't know why he hasn't made the like an, an incredible like how to live a glamorous life. Yeah, how to be because fabulous. He, it, it would be absolutely incredible. So he wrote all of these really nice things for Michael to kind of help him get back into this world. He's like, there's a and thing called YouTube. There's a thing <laughs> called YouTube. Uh, it's too funny. But um, you have to explain these things to him that it's like he's been in there since the late 90s, man. Yeah, I loved it. Things, things it, it takes a while to get used to not needing anymore mm -hmm. photographs books, and mm -hmm. newspapers, you'll fight this, but eventually you'll succumb. It's a paperless world now. Adapt or die. Yep. That's kind of what he says in the movie. He's like, he changed the scene, and I had to either adapt or die, like, you know, if I wanted to be a part of this. Michael, you can't just leave. You're attached to things. Michael! Come on, James. So that's a little bit about my, the real Michael and Macaulay Culkin. But let's definitely move down to... Uh, Seth Green. Oh, sweet baby Seth Green. I love you so much. <laughs> I honestly, truly love Seth Green more than anything. If you don't know who Seth Green is, get the fuck off of this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you do know who he is. You just don't know you know if you don't. I don't know if we've actually talked about him. I, we mentioned him mildly because we talked about Can't Hardly Wait, not because we had discussed it, but we had talked about how much we love that movie. He's a big... 90s star moving into the millennia like he's really well known for adult swim robot chicken he robot chicken it's one of his biggest things you also recognize his voice as chris from family guy from family guy mm -hmm. he's done classics austin powers he's dr evil's yep. son scott and then Scotty Dune. He's been catching up on a lot of things. He is so iconic, though, that of course they come. They have him coming around, being Howard the Duck on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He'll like make little pop-ups. Oh my god! I know. I truly love him so much. Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer when he's the werewolf. Yep. 
He does a lot of voiceover work. So he does you, a lot of voiceover work. Like he is uh, Scooby Doo, all that. You Leonardo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He does those. But I mean, his filmography. There's nothing short on that. You can go check him out. He's amazing. He's naturally just owns everything and every bit of his body. And you really get to see him work that in this movie. Now, you got to kind of see it in, like, Can't Hardly Wait when he's just, like, playing that white boy that's trying to be black. Yeah, that fucking wigger. That was hilarious. <laughs> that's, like, one of my favorites. And you can't hate him because it's, it's so bad to be that person. But you can't hate him because yeah. he's just so adorable. <laughs> but he has this way of owning a character with his body. And you see that a lot with James St. James, right? I cannot get over how he embodied this character. He took over James St. James. And even watching Seth years and years later, having they met at Comic-Con with James St. James. And I watched this interview of the two of them talking and discussing. It's almost as though they didn't miss a thing. They have this very brotherly relationship that Seth really, I think, got to know the plight of what James St. James went through. And adapted that to what we see as this character. One of my favorite moments in all the interviews I was watching, James St. James's mother said that it freaked her out the laugh that Seth Green would do because yeah. it sounds she's like it was just like my son's laugh. Like it is a it is like it his is laugh. Just <laughs> like his laugh. That's how amazing he is. He told his mom not to show up. He's like, Mom, you don't want to see me yeah, doing drugs and shit. <laughs> But she went opening day. She did. I mean, why wouldn't you support your baby boy? <laughs> but you're right. He was the first one to sign on to this project. He believed in this project. He loved the story. I believe he probably was a little bit present during that time as well. Not specifically, you know, in that scene, but he knew about what was going on. He could. He was watching all of this happen. Yeah. So he had a very strong presence as we know, him and Macaulay Culkin are really good friends. So to get Macaulay Culkin to do this with him, I mean, just shows how professional he is regarded in the industry. Like, if Seth Green calls you and is like, man, you have to do this, I mean, he ain't going to say no. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but we'll definitely talk more about him. I love everything that he does. So honestly, it's not going to be hard to say, hey, let's do this. Let's talk about Seth Green again. Yeah, he Uh, has great movies. He said that he would call the real James St. James and ask him, like, how do you open a door? Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And he'd be like, bitch, this is how you do it. Like, he did a great job. And like you said, he made him legendary for us young babies to who had no clue who he was to be lifelong fans exactly when i first saw this movie and i didn't realize that this was based on reality i loved the character like that whole life of fabulousness that he described just was so appealing because he made it look so effortless and we would have definitely been club kids to an extent yeah i would say so to an extent it's costumes, costumes partying telling us just to show up somewhere to party until the cops came like definitely college us would have done that like hands down i know watching this i was like we would have been club kids if we were in the 90s in new york yeah. like definitely i would have met lenny at the limelight like hey girl oh God, we should be friends. be friends all dressed up ready to go 
Okay, so a little, uh, uh, some fun facts on the real James St. James. He does come from a nicely wealthy family. He does. And he went to school to be a writer. And he was having trouble writing, I feel like, because he didn't. He was living in a world that took charge of his life. He had to do this. He had to do that. He had to show up here. And he didn't have the idea of what to write. I mean, before I did this podcast, people told me I should have a podcast or I should have a YouTube channel. And I was like, well, what the fuck would I do it about? I mean, yes, I should have one. But like, about what? And I feel like that's kind of where James St. James fell at that point. And this story fell in his lap where it was like, well, I, I got to tell our story. Yeah, it's our it's story. Our... You don't want to, you don't want some like outsider coming in and trying to write it. tell the story of a scene. Yeah. I believe that a lot of the things in his book are exaggerated. Exaggerated. I believe that the majority of the story is true. But his book did make more attention on to what was going on. So definitely the reason why the movie itself got any traction at all would be because of the book. Yes. I would feel. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we watched the shockumentary yeah. that I found on Wow. On wow. And uh, you actually see the interview that we see in this movie where... James is sitting out by the pool on the the lounge chair in his little outfit. All of that is taken from that documentary. You see him in the same exact outfit, laying out by the pool Mm -hmm. with his glasses, just being fabulous. Um, Oh, yeah. I would definitely say watch that movie. I love it because he describes that time of his life. I was wearing Prada suits and book selling. And I just love thinking about James St. James, who wouldn't have been caught dead in a suit. All of a sudden, it's like, I'm a businessman now. (laughs) I'm business. I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. He's amazing. Definitely look him up on YouTube and watch some of his stuff. He has a couple interviews with the great RuPaul, where they just, you know, reminisce on their friendship and their their meeting. Because they're both so different now. But yes, that's James St. James, please. Please educate yourself on his amazingness. Okay, so let's talk about the real star of the movie. Oh, shit. The Limelight was this crazy club back in the 80s and 90s. But before that, it was a Presbyterian church called the Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. And it was built in 1844 through 1845. And it was a Presbyterian church. People went there for their masks and they worshiped there. It was holy ground mm-hmm. until the 70s. And the church, for some reason, dipped out of there and sold the church. They sold the church to the Oasis House, is a drug rehab center. And so it kind of was that for a while until 1982 when Peter Gatton, who already had a string of nightclubs, bought it. And so it stayed open 
until the ni- uh, 2007 when the close club was finally closed down and sold. Mm. And as of now, I'm pretty sure that it is called the Limelight Fitness. It is. And so you can go there and uh, work out. So that if you want to go there, you not rave, but roid out on some weights, then go ahead and head on over there. Now, Peter, let's talk about him. So we're going to talk about the real Peter. He is a Canadian. And when he was a small child, he was in a hockey accident and he lost his eye. He lost it. Whatever. So that's why he looks like a Bond villain with his... (laughs) eye patch is because he lost it whatever um (laughs) whatever whatever and he got a settlement from that and he took that money and he bought a bar in canada and turned it into like a really cool nice place and then he sold it and then he started traveling and he went to Florida and bought a place there. He went to Atlanta and bought a place there. Went to Chicago and bought a place there. And turned these places into sick-ass, beautiful discos. Like, one in Atlanta had, like, was it Atlanta? I think it was Chicago. It was, like, in the wintertime, it was snow. And they had a polar bear exhibit that was, like, on the roof in this glass cage and in the winter or in the summer they turned that into like a shark tank and it was like crazy like he just was very crazy like you would you would definitely want to go party there at least once if you visited one of these cities Mm -hmm. uh then he turned his eye on to new york city and he bought the limelight and he bought a couple other ones Mm -hmm. that he turned into uh one of them was the tunnel which is known back in the late 90s through the mid 2000s as a very cool hot spot for black people you know rappers r&b singers black moguls would show up there they would perform there Mm -hmm. black people would go there he made sure that we had a place which was something that wasn't really happening before then in at least in new york he seemed like he was a cool boss like i definitely would have not hate working for him he saw the way that the scene was changing and he always changed with the scene mm-hmm. the music styles he apparently was never into selling the drugs there never made people leave well no he said he would make people leave if they were caught doing drugs like any club that you go to now yeah if you are caught doing smoke like snorting a line of coke off of the bar they're gonna ask you to leave yeah you gotta get out that's illegal (laughs) you gotta get out but if you go to the bathroom like everybody else they don't know and you're fine but awful rudy giuliani boo that crook wanted to go in on him and decided that these kids on x needed to be taught a lesson so they set up sing operations trying to get you know people to buy drugs and stuff like that which happens at almost any club that you go to or festival you can find drugs if you want it if you really want to find it you can find it if you're really looking for it you're you're gonna find it and that's just how it was so the fbi was keeping tabs on him like he says in the movie peter you're just paranoid and they came in they shut limelight down shut all of his shit down pretty much and was charging him with like racketeering 
<laughs> um, and they got a lot of different people to turn on him, Michael being one of them, even though it was hard to use him and they didn't even end up using him. So him getting a manslaughter was like for nothing. And a lot of other horrible drug dealers, DJs turned on him. Basically, they could never prove that the money was getting kicked back to him. Money's always going out. It's not coming to like that drug money's not going up to Peter. Like he wasn't he didn't no. put the drug dealers in the clubs. He wasn't saying, All right, you guys sell the drugs and then give me my percentage. None of that. He just wanted to throw a cool party and to throw a good party, sometimes you're gonna have to have some drugs there. Like <laughs> that's just kinda how it is. And so all the charges were dropped on him. But shortly after that, the IRS was like, hey, girl, you didn't do your taxes. You owe us like, you know, a mil and a half. One point six yeah. million. Yeah. You owe us. And they made it very hard for him to do that by taking liquor license away from him in some of his places. Um, white people in Manhattan were not cool with having black people stomping through their neighborhood to go to their club. He enjoyed having the black people because he was like, they don't do really drugs. They're drinkers. They like to dance and drink. So yeah. I won't really have a problem with them having drugs minus than like, you know, someone smoking some weed once in a while. That's fine. But the white neighborhood was not about it. And they shut him down. Eventually, he had to sell the limelight in 2007 for about $3 million. Then a year after that, they deported him back to Canada. And he had to leave his American wife and American children here. And that he is still not allowed back in the States to this day. Not for a funeral, not for a wedding, not for graduations of his kids. None of that. He's not allowed back because he is technically a felon. So, yeah. The things that he did for the New York nightlife will never be forgotten. The way that he built up the limelight had definitely different rooms for different DJs. He built a two-story balcony for people to look out. Definitely, definitely Google the pictures of these huge-ass rave parties that were there because it looks phenomenal. Like, I would have definitely gone at least once. <laughs> at least once. Uh, he's also not known for doing <laughs> drugs. He would go months and months and months without not even drinking. He didn't really like to party. He would show up once in a while just so that, you know, people could see his face. But he would have mm -hmm. his vacations, like he talks about in this movie, where he would rent a huge ass hotel suite and invite his friends to come and party and just do as much drugs. Where Michael does his mm -hmm. uh, fort. That is... His little, fort, His little fort, that is exactly what Michael would do at these things. That is completely true. Besides Angel, Peter definitely got the raw deal because he didn't really do anything yeah. except get people the time of their lives and kind of got kicked out. So let's talk about the actor who played Peter, who has two eyes. He does not have one. Uh, I love him in American Horror Story everything. Girl, <laughs> you just read my mind. I know. He is definitely... One of my favorites in American Horror Story. He is in the first season of it, but he pops up in a couple other ones. And he is very sexy. He's, so he's sexy. very sexy, and the older he gets, he's still he's still being sexy. I remember he's been a lot though. Yep, he was in Still Magnolias. He was in. Thank you, Jay Shelby. 
Yes. Uh, the thing that I probably remember and love him the most as as a little kid is Miracle on 34th Street, the, two, the 1994 one. Yeah. He was awesome. He's in Home for the Holidays, which we'll do one day. Three to Tango. He was the bad guy in Three to Tango. Three to Tango. <laughs> yep. He just shows up on a lot of things. I felt like I grew up watching him on The yes, Practice. Yes, on The Practice, for sure. He was a cool, sexy-ass lawyer on there. And he just shows up all over the place. Oh, yeah, he's in The Perks of Being a yes. Wallflower. I love that book. That's such a good one. So yeah, we definitely see him all the time. He was in the Netflix original Hollywood. Did you watch that? Please tell me you watched yes, that. Yes, of course. I think he has a really good friendship relationship with Ryan Murphy. Which you want to because everything that dude touches turns to gold. I will watch. His name's on it. I'm going to watch it because most 99.9% exactly. of the time I'm going to love I it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And he is on the brand new Law and Order. Oh, really? Organized. Get out of here. I have not watched this one. Mm. But yeah, he did a great job in this movie. Uh, I do feel like he embodied Peter because Peter seemed like he was a very quiet, straightforward oh businessman. The whole scene when he watches Michael Peene in the cup and he's just like, uh... But yeah, we will definitely talk about you again, maybe in Christmas, because Miracle on 34th Street. Love, love it, love it, love it. We love talked it. about he's doing that. Really? Remember, we did talk about doing we that did. movie. And he's so handsome he's in so that good. one. Like, ugh. He's good in everything he does. All right. Yeah, down, down. Okay. Let me give you a quick fun fact. You ready? Ready. Let's do it. So the outlaw parties, those were real. They would show up at donut shops, McDonald's, subway platforms, Burger Kings and they would just basically be like everybody meet at the Burger King on this street at you know 12 o'clock and then they would bring their own alcohol and set up a spot for like a little bar and they would just take over these places yeah. and like I said these videos are still out there I saw one the RuPaul was there eating fucking hamburger chilling mm -hmm. her ass is off like you know it was just like a thing to do which I absolutely loved and out of this whole scene, like we have said a kajillion times, we got the Miss Beautiful RuPaul. But we also got Michael Musto, who was a semi-club kid, but was also known as being the journalist for this scene. He would be out there yeah. telling you everything that went down. They even mentioned him uh, for a bit when they are when Michael is reading the newspaper about himself and that, you know, mm -hmm. he killed Angel. That's supposed to be his article. You still see him today on interviews, especially for this. But for anything gay or anything that has to do with, like, socialites and just being there, he is always in the mix just telling you. And he also showed up on, like, some of the Geraldo shows and stuff and was definitely... Yeah advocating for them and it was like look man this is just a cool ass scene stop being an old person it's just crazy to just see how young he is i was like oh my god look how I young know. you are i know right i've known you my whole life yeah. you want to talk about angel wilson cruz he plays angel he is amazing i always remember him as ricky from my so-called life i'm not gonna lie to you i always remember him as, as ricky. my so-called life definitely is the first thing that i always think of him as mm -hmm. he is beautiful i'm not gonna say that he always plays the gay character but he is kind of known for that playing like a beautiful 
Yeah, he came out when he was at a really young age, so he was just naturally happy to be that character, which isn't something you find very commonly in in Hollywood. A lot of actors and actresses, unfortunately, feel the need to suppress their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did a stint on Party of Five before he did Party Monster. He did a couple episodes of West Wing, but I love him in Noah's Ark. Anyway, but he pops up on TV all the time. You'll see him in like Grey's Anatomy and shit like that. Like he just, he constantly is working. He's beautiful. Yeah, he is. Oh my God, Angel, him walking like with his wings, all these shots of him, like solo shots of him walking is so sexy. Like where they're like, we got a surprise for you. And they open the door and it's like sexy ass Angel walking in. Holding drugs. Holding drugs. He's like, you want this? Like, (laughs) yes. Anyway, we will definitely talk about him again. He did a great job. Angel was very quiet and in this movie, but you still felt. Very big presence. Big presence. Now, the real angel was a beautiful soul. He did definitely see the club kids on TV and migrate his way to the city to find them like he does in the movie. And he was known for wearing his angel wings. And he was a drug dealer, but that's not like I don't want that to be like he was a drug dealer. No, I mean, he did it because that was kind of the scene. It was a good way to make money. And your friends are going to buy it anyway. You might as well be the one to sell it to them, like kind of deal. He was a sweet, sweet soul. And when he went missing, his brother felt something was wrong. He's like, I haven't heard from him. So they, he would page him on his beeper and he wouldn't get back to him. He talked to Michael himself and Michael was like, I don't know. He just like left. I don't know. I haven't seen him. And his Angel's brother would not give up. He went to the cops. The cops didn't care. You know, a queer person missing, oh well. A queer person of color missing, definitely oh well. So his brother printed out thousands of flyers with the picture of him with his angel wings. Have you seen him? He went to the club and he talked to all the the kids and they kind of didn't really tell him what they all knew was that Michael was the one who did this. Eventually somebody tipped him off to this enough that he could go to the cops and be like, hey girls, I think I know what happened to my brother and I'm pretty sure I know who did it. And without Angel's brother, I don't know if we would have, they would have still thought he was an Asian man. They wouldn't have been looking for him. You know, yeah, he, exactly. he was loved, even though he was gay, his family still loved him, at least his brother, enough to, I'm not going to sleep. That's my brother, my friends, if you guys go missing, I'm, there's nothing that I would do that would, there's nothing that would stop me from figuring out what happened to you or finding you. I would be on every podcast, every TV show, every, everywhere. So we have to remember Angel and all of this because he is the true victim and uh, the reason why there's even a story. It's so sad. Let's talk about the cameos real quick. Okay, cool. Cameos. Cameos. So like we mentioned before, Marilyn Manson, who he's on the edge of cancellation at this point in Yeah, time. he's a terrible human being. But before that, he was in this movie playing yeah. Christina who was a real person and he did a great job of being her apparently even James St. James and the directors who were all friends 
with her was like, yeah, he had her spot on, which I think is hilarious because Christina's kind of one of my favorite parts of this movie. She doesn't say much, but she's always like, uh, he's like, Christina, I'm going to make you my star. And she's like, uh, like she just looks incredibly crazy or where he's like talking about the the water he's like yeah you know I'm, you're flooding my basement and then they cut to Christina just like dancing in the water by herself Ooh, it's it's hilarious but apparently he did a good job of portraying her another cameo we have John Stamos who plays the TV Geraldo. host Geraldo <laughs> who's there he's a nicer Geraldo than the real Geraldo was on the show but it was cool to see sexy Uncle Jesse on there. So then we have Natasha Leon who plays Brooke. She is the chick with the blue and black braids who's just like, I just can't believe you're here, man. I saw you on TV. I love you. She's like cutting <laughs> the drugs up for him. She does a good job. You do see her in the shockumentary, The Real Her. And I was like, oh, shit, that's her. Oh, that's I who know. she's supposed to be. And she looks exactly like she her. She looks exactly Weird. like her, which I think is amazing. You've got Mia Krishner showing up as the wife of. Oh, yeah. I know. That's she's true. Jenny. She was in there. Uh, we have Daniel Francis, who we've already talked about on Mean Girls. And I want my pink shirt back. I want my pink shirt back. Daddy DeVito, I love you. He is just too gay to function. So obviously he would be in this movie. Um, he he plays the stage hand who tells them to go onto the stage. Like, all right, you guys, you're on next. And he plays the rat. He's in the rat suit and he does the rat voice. That's him. Yeah, I think that's great. I love him. I love that he got in the wild world back in the day. I have seen him as a guest host on RuPaul's Drag Race, and he's just kind of amazing. I, I love to see more of him, definitely. And then we have uh, Richie Rick. He is a real club kid. He doesn't have any parts in this movie, but you will, if you know who he is, you'll notice him in the back. He does come in during the TV show when they're all doing their parade of everyone comes out. He's like dressed as like a little boy scout with his his compact, just looking at himself. He's just, he's in the mix. But he really was a uh, club kid back in the day, a legit mm -hmm. one. But now he's like a fashion designer and like personality. So those are some of the cameos we have in this cool. movie. Love it, love it, love it. I love that you put some real club kids in there and that's cool. Yeah, gotta have the real call out. Mm -hmm. All right, so here's a fun fact. The exterior shot of Michael's apartment is really Michael's apartment. That's the real building, y'all. They really got up close and personal with yes. it. Yes. I don't believe they filmed inside. Uh, feels like that's a stage. But the exterior is definitely the real deal of where Angel's life was cut short and that Michael lived. Okay, so let's just talk about a little bit about the fashion. If you wanted to be a club kid and show up at the limelight and, like, be the shit, you need to come dressed up as... A drag queen, but like a fabulous one. Come in some sexy lingerie with some platform shoes, plastic suits, pleather suits, crazy wigs were always something. And they even had their own mascot, which is this big ass chicken that you will definitely see in this movie roaming around. But there was a chicken that showed up at their parties and would party and was like their mascot 
which I think is kind of crazy. I think it would suck to be in a party like that in a big ass chicken costume, like hot AF deaf. Some of the things that they would do to get people in is they had the pee drinker. So there was a man who you didn't have to con into drink a pee. He would just do it. And that was like some of their gimmicks. So he would have like a glass full of pee and he'd drink it and be like, ah, like it's some gross ass shit. I don't know. They also had, which you know I would have definitely showed up for this one. <laughs> we had a lady who would go around and give herself champagne enemas. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wasting that champagne on that booty hole. I got but, a little drunk off it. I mean, you can die that way. Definitely don't do that, you guys. Don't ever drink alcohol through your anus. People die. Because it goes immediately to your bloodstream. And the Project X magazine is real, or was real. But it definitely was where they would take all those photos and photo shoots that they would do. The pictures would be in there. They'd talk about the coolest parties. You know, just everything. I do not know if that is the exact reason why James St. James got cut off. So I would say in if you are a fan of this movie, definitely go watch Party Monster, the documentary that's on WoW. And I also would say to watch the Limelight documentary. It's on YouTube. Uh, very yes. cool. Very eye-opening on the scene and how clubs became the way that they are today. And you get to see Peter's now talking about how it was then those are the two documentaries i would suggest you guys watch but other than that i'm done this movie oh my god it's going to haunt me <laughs> throw a little glitter on it how do you go dancing <laughs> thanks for checking us you guys this has been super awesome coming in hanging out you can always check our beautiful podcast wherever you listen to for podcasts whether that be spotify fm player podbean all these places they are boasting us up and talking about our beautiful lights camera cocktail you can get our instagram our Twitter, our TikTok, we're all over the place having fun, talking. Go ahead and check us out. Send us recommendations to our direct messaging or through our email at Lights Camera Cocktail, no S. Get the S out of here. At gmail.com. We love hearing about your Hollywood close encounters with other actors. Well, Zenobia's favorite. Yeah. And we love getting all those movie recommendations as well as drink recommendations. We hope we're doing you guys proud. Thank you so much for listening to our Pride segment. It's one of my favorite months, so I'm really excited to be sharing it with you. And, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for checking us out, listening. Yes. So next week will be our last Pride. Tell them, girl, what are we doing next week? We're going to do the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. Let's do it. I can't wait. It's a good, fun. Uh, it's a fun one. We deserve movie. a fun one. Yeah, it's very much uh, to Wong Fu, but in Australia. It'll be very fun. Very fun. Well, yeah, so we're going to be doing that for our last Pride a week for Pride Month. And, uh, yeah, thank you for drinking with me and talking with me. I always love hanging out with you. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. Well, we will be back next week 
with another episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails. Oh my God, I found my friend. Oh, here's my friend. I found him. Yes. We found each other. We found each other. Oh, I love him. He's fabulous. He's yes. fabulous. <laughs> so you just, then you leave. The whole thing should take about an hour, 90 minutes tops. Do that once a night for three months, and you'll be the toast of the town. Choo, choo, choo.